Welcome to Through the Bible with Pastor Michael, a podcast from First Baptist Church in Mustang, Oklahoma. Here's Pastor Michael. Good morning. It is February, day nine, and we are beginning a brand new book of the Bible that we will read through for the next uh, several days. We are in the book of Acts, today covering Acts chapters one, two, and three, and then also Proverbs chapter nine. So let's get into the, the book of the Acts of the Apostles with five observations. Number one, Jesus ascends to heaven until his second coming. This is a part of the life of Jesus on this earth that is often overlooked. We often talk about his birth. We talk about, of course, his crucifixion and resurrection. Um, But here in the book of Acts, we get the story of his ascension. Um, And as is mentioned in chapter 1, verse 11, It says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I'll tell you, the older I get, the more I rejoice in the truth of the promise of heaven. And whether that is um, as we die and go from this life into eternity to be with the Lord or uh, the Lord's second coming, Uh, The sweet promise that we will be with him forever just gets sweeter and sweeter to me uh, every day. I'm thankful for this life. I'm thankful for the the good things the Lord has given to us. I'm grateful for my family. I'm thankful for our church family. Um, I'm thankful for every day, how the Lord provides for us and and reveals himself to us in the reading of his word. Uh, So many great blessings the Lord has given to us, but none as sweet Um, or as hopeful as the promise of heaven uh, that either we will die and go to be with him or uh, he returns uh, to take those who are his unto himself. Either way, the promise is the same, that we are with him for all eternity and and, um, rejoice in that today. Number two, Matthias has chosen to replace Judas as the 12th apostle. Judas takes his own life. Um, after he betrays Christ, and then uh, the the apostles are to replace him. And it tells us in chapter 1, verse 26, that Matthias is the one who was chosen uh, then in the days of the early church to be the twelfth apostle. Number three, Peter preaches at Pentecost and makes clear that the crucifixion was the definite plan of God. Pentecost uh, a word meaning 50th uh, refers there to the Feast of Weeks, to that that uh, feast that took place uh, 50 days after Passover. And as Peter is preaching uh, there at Pentecost, he says these well-known words. This is Acts 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The crucifixion was the definite plan of God. This was, this was God's plan from the beginning to redeem people for himself. Number four, the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, observance of the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Uh, One of the 
the best known verses in the book of Acts is chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is what the people were doing. Uh, this is what they were focused on. This is what consumed their heart, their mind, and their time. Gathering with believers uh, as they would be taught and instructed. They would fellowship together, build relationships with each other. They partnered together in the things of the Lord. They were breaking bread together as they remembered the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they spent time in prayer together. And then fifthly, the preaching was a call to repent. The preaching was a call to repent. Chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 3, 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Uh, this was a, a message of repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. The apostles are preaching repentance. It's really staggering that in so much preaching that exists in our world today, that the call to repent is so largely absent. Now, praise God, not everywhere. There are a number of faithful churches and faithful preachers, faithful men who, who proclaim uh, the call to repentance. But, but in a large scale, repentance is just nearly absent from uh, pulpits today. But if you want to preach like John the Baptist, if you want to preach like Jesus, if you want to preach like the apostles, if you want to preach like the early church, it is a, a message of repentance to turn from sin and turn unto Jesus Christ. Five applications are so many uh, in our reading today. Uh, it, it's difficult to just narrow it down to five. But here are five things I want you to think about with me today. Number one, we do not need to know the details of God's calendar in order to be ready. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, just before the ascension, in verse 6, uh, the, the people come together there, uh, and it says, They ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this when your, your earthly physical kingdom, earthly physical reign is going to take place? Now, Jesus doesn't say, no, that's not going to happen. No, where did you get that? He doesn't in any way um, tell them that they've got their expectation wrong. What he does say, though, is interesting. He says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, it's helpful to know eschatology, the study of the last things. It's helpful to know what the Bible has revealed to us about things that will take place. It's helpful to have a good biblical sense of what the Lord is going to do. However, the precise details of the calendar of when these things are going to happen are not for us to know. So, it's helpful to study eschatology, but don't get caught up in in predicting dates and seasons and times. That's not for us to know. What is for us to know is what the Lord is going to do. When it's going to happen, that's not for us to know. And so what we learn from that is we don't have to know all the details to the calendar or to the when 
in order for us to be ready. We need to be ready to meet the Lord. And so we just take this as far as eschatology. Just take this in your own personal life. You don't need to know when you're going to die in order to be ready to meet the Lord. You don't know when your last breath is coming, but you can and should and must be ready to meet the Lord. And so rather than focusing on, you know, how many more days do you have? How many more years do you have? When is the end of your life going to come? Instead, just be focused and be, be ready to meet the Lord. Be focused on what you need to do every single day to be prepared to meet the Lord. And then in a large scale sense, when you think of the eschatology that the Bible teaches us, when we think of the events of the last days, you don't need to know the when that all takes place in order to be ready for the reality that it will take place. So we want to be prepared every single day to meet the Lord. Number two, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility exist side by side. Um, again, back to chapter 2 and uh, verse 23, what we just looked at a moment ago. The scripture says, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This wasn't just that God knew something. This was his definite plan. This was his decree. Yet, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. So at the cross, you see this clear example of the sovereignty of God on the one hand and the responsibility of humanity on the other hand. And they stand side by side. Uh, it was Charles Spurgeon who said that he didn't feel the need to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And his answer was, you don't reconcile friends. These two things stand side by side at the same time. The crucifixion is absolutely the definite plan of God, and it also is a place where mankind was doing exactly and precisely what they chose in their sin-hardened hearts to do. Um, what does that mean for us by way of application? It means that we are accountable for the decisions we make. We are accountable for the choices we make. Yet, even sinful people's lives will not thwart the ultimate sovereign plan of God. So what that means for us is that we live life based with responsibility and absolute complete trust and rest in the goodness and the sovereign plans of God. The older I get, the more rest I find in that. Um, we need to make good decisions. We need to lead our families and churches well. We need to be good citizens, all those things. Yet, our ultimate hope and rest is in the sovereign work and the sovereign plan of God. Uh, and as, again, Spurgeon said, that his sovereignty becomes the pillow upon which we lay our heads. Third, we must devote ourselves to the ancient paths walked by the early Christians. So many churches today are so caught up in, in being so worldly and trying to be so creative and trying to be so new and fresh and relevant, um, but it's the ancient paths that we must walk. Now, my, my intention is not to, uh, to get distracted and, 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 and 
cast stones at churches that maybe do things differently than, than we do. There, there's a place for churches to have personality. There's a church you know, that has different strengths than others and, and ministries that others don't have, and that's fine. Uh, the, the Lord has made individuals different, and so individual churches to some extent um, will be different. However, let's remind ourselves, it's not new and creative that's the path to wisdom. It's the ancient paths. It's the, the gospel um, passed down to the saints, the book of Jude says. That, that the path of the church is the ancient paths. That it's the, the simple things like worship, Bible preaching, singing, the Lord's Supper, baptism, the um, praying of God's people. This ancient path is the path that we are to walk. We don't look to the world to get direction for our church. We look to the scripture. We don't look to that which is new. We look to that which is old, passed down. Now again, um, technology is a gift. Um, new abilities to communicate are good things the church can use and leverage. Um, churches can, can use and express their talents and their giftedness in any number of ways. Uh, this isn't an argument that a, that a holy church is a boring church, not by any means. But it is just a reminder that effective churches, effective in the sense of the kingdom, are devoted to the ancient paths walked by the early Christians. Number four, the Lord still saves souls through the proclamation of the pure gospel. When you read what's going on in Acts 1, 2, and 3, they're, they're, just, they're just gathering together, they're studying, they're worshiping, they're fellowshipping, and they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the Lord still saves souls through that preaching of the pure gospel. And then number five, the Lord advances His kingdom through common, ordinary people. Let your mind dwell on that for a moment today. The Lord advances His kingdom through the lives of common, ordinary people. That's what happens in the book of Acts. That's what happens today. You're not too ordinary to be used by God. You're not too common to be used by God. You're the kind of person that the Lord has always used. Faithful, God-reliant, Bible-saturated, diligent people simply doing what God has called them to do. That's the person God uses. Common, ordinary people who live their lives in submission and obedience to our Savior. And then a summary from Proverbs 9. Proverbs has been contrasting um, in Proverbs 9, it's contrasting wisdom and folly. We've talked a lot about what wisdom means for us. The antithesis of that, then, is, is uh, mentioned here in Proverbs 9. So the summary from Proverbs 9 today is this. Folly is loud and noisy, seductive and tempting, yet leads to death. Wisdom is simple. But wisdom is, is often quiet. Um, wisdom often whispers, so to speak. Folly, 
the, the fool's noise of the world is loud and noisy. It is seductive and tempting, but it leads to death. I think about that when, when I just see that the people in this world that, that get all the fame and the attention. It's those who are noisy. It's those who are loud. It's those who are constantly making a racket. But the truth is, um, the folly of the world is loud and noisy. Instead of pursuing that, pursue the wisdom that comes from God that is pure, um, that is heavenly, that is simple, and that leads us to walk in faithfulness on the ancient paths that God's people have always walked. Enjoy your study today.